The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And I don't know about you guys, but in this day and age, the way that the world is going crazy, I think we could all use a Duff McKagan joke of the week right now. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. I'm uh, taking my dog for a walk right now. She's doing a number two as we speak. It's glorious. Anyhow, uh, do you know the difference between a well-dressed man on a unicycle and a poorly dressed man? On a bicycle, a tire. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. That was a good one. Duff has uh, redeemed himself. Legit laugh out loud for that one. And check out Dolph. Uh, Duff, Dolph. Check out Dolph. Check out Duff multitasking at home, walking the dog and calling in jokes. And while uh, rehearsing for hopefully the, uh, the Mexico tour of Guns N' Roses, coronavirus hasn't stopped them yet. They're headed back to the States as well for the summer 2020 stadium tour starting July 4th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You can get tickets at GunsNRoses.com. What's up with these tour names? The Summer 2020 Stadium Tour for Guns N' Roses. The Stadium Tour for Motley Crue and Def Leppard. The Big Rock Summer Tour for Skid Row and, and, and Rat. Like, come on, guys. You should be doing something. Call yourself like Save the World Tour, which uh, we're still doing. Uh, April 16th, starting in Savannah, Georgia. Hopefully the coronavirus won't derail that. It's going to be one of our biggest tours we've ever had. Um, keep buying your tickets now because it looks like we're going to be close to 90% sold out before we even start the tour. So hopefully uh, you guys will be there. Even though Pearl Jam just canceled the tour in Coachella, Stagecoach Festival's postponed in October, but Fozzy Rock's on for now. So get your tickets at FozzyRock.com. Like I said, Save the World Tour starting April 16th in Savannah, Georgia, 17th at 98 Rockfest in Tampa, 18th at WJRR's Earth Day Birthday. Uh, then we're in Chattanooga, Johnson City, which is sold out, Charlotte, Nashville, Louisville, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Buffalo, Iowa City, Iowa, Twin City Takeover at the Target Center in Minneapolis on May 8th. May 9th at the Royal Grove in Lincoln, Nebraska. So many more dates as well. Just go to FozzyRock.com and check out all. I think there's 30 or 40 dates for the Save the World Tour, including the Kiss Cruise. 
October 30th, we set sail. So we're going to be on that one. FozzyRock.com for all gig information. And don't forget FozzyRock.com for VIP meet and greets. Come hang out with us before the show. We do a private mini concert for you. We sign your stuff. We hang out. We meet you. We greet you. We treat you like the king and queen that you are. And we've already sold out of the VIP in Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Lancaster, and Buffalo. Looks like Cleveland and I believe Louisville will be next. So uh, don't be scared. Sign up now. We don't want to miss you. So uh, now that all that's been taken care of today, Excalibur makes his talk as Jericho debut. Part of the AEW announced team working alongside good old Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone on Dynamite. What you might not know is that Excalibur is one of the founding fathers of PWG, uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, which used to be based in Los Angeles. One of the hottest indie promotions in the world, uh, attracting all kinds of celebrity fans, became the place to wrestle on the indie scene to this day. Also gave a bunch of superstar talents their starts. We're going to talk about all that stuff with the masked, mysterious Excalibur coming up now. On talk is Jericho. Okay, backstage here uh, in Atlanta with the mysterious and verbose Excalibur. Um, it's interesting because I never really know exactly what your day is like here at an AW Dynamite taping. And you said in about an hour's time or so you have to go do a sound check. Explain what exactly you have, what that means. So we get uh, with the uh, myself, Jr. Tony Schiavone, we get on the headsets and we basically do a dry run through our on-stage or you know on-cam segment during the show. So when we're running down the card, that sort of stuff, and then Justin Roberts will do a mock ring introduction with lights, music, and everything. And so it's basically just a, a rehearsal mm-hmm. and uh, just making sure all the levels are right. And they're you know they're transmitting it usually to Atlanta, even though we're in Atlanta today. But mm-hmm. they usually transmit it to CNN. Make sure everything's right on their end, and then um, and then we just go from there. They they keep those levels locked in for the rest of the show. So how has that been for you? I mean, obviously, I know you had done some commentating for a while. There's lots to talk about, but this is kind of getting thrown into the deep end, national television, right off the bat in front of millions of people, with obviously you know, with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, two of the greatest of all time. What was your mindset in getting the gig, taking the gig, and how you would fit in in such a, a giant uh, world that we live in? I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it was all, all out was actually when I first found out that, I'm sorry, all in, in, in 2018. I get them mixed up too. <laughs> um, but that's when, when Matt and Nick, the Bucks, reached out to me and they said, hey, we want you to be a part of that show. And um, and that was with Don Callis and yeah, Ian, Don, R- Ian Riccaboni, Ian Riccaboni um, myself, and we had a couple of guests. But anyway, and so that was that was my first experience doing like a pay per view or any any type of show like that. Because before that, it was just PWG indie shows and, and that sort of stuff. And after that was over, I thought like, oh, that was just a one and done. What a great experience! Really happy to be there. Little did I know that that was essentially our pilot episode for lack of a better term for Turner which and, it really was yeah for Tony Khan as well and mm-hmm. for everybody involved yeah I mean if, if not a pilot episode a proof of concept sure at the very least and so yeah then Matt and Nick after it was over they were like you know don't go anywhere because there there's something else coming over the horizon and I was like yeah you know it's wrestling I'll believe when I see right, it exactly and um, then you know I saw the announcement for AEW on January 1st of, of 2019 and I was like, oh, this is what they were talking about. I sure hope 
that there's a spot for me. I didn't want to get my hopes up. And then they asked me to do the uh, the press conference in Vegas uh, for the ticket on sale announcement and that sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, this might actually happen. And then they told me, hey, we want you to fly to Atlanta and uh, do a rehearsal with Jim Ross. And I was like, okay, I guess. Meaning the- kind of like a, like a chemistry test? Maybe? Yes, exactly. Like a dry run. Uh, right. Yeah, screen test for lack of sure, a better Sure, of course. Term. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so we did it. And JR, when he first saw me, he's like, he's like, why do you wear a mask? I'm like, because I always did. That was my wrestling career. He's like, well, yeah, but why are you doing it now? Nobody can see you. And I'm like, it's just what everybody knows me by. And he's, he was really, um, he was really worried that I was out to get myself over at the expense of everybody else. But I think after one day of us working together, he kind of realized that I put everybody else over at my own expense. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm constantly trying to, to put everything over as, as to the best of my abilities. It's interesting to me because once again, I've said this a few times when I first signed with AEW, there was a, 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 not a number of guys, but coming from my world, which is, you know, big time WrestleMania, mm-hmm. WWF and the Vince McMahon way of thinking, forgetting what the basics of wrestling is, which is if you want to make it and do something different. Mm-hmm. So when I first see Marco stunt, I was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've told Marco this, and then now he's one of the most over guys in the show. Orange Cassidy, same thing. Why the hell are we signing this guy? It's, it's blasphemy. Mm-hmm. And same thing with why. I said the same. Why does the guy wear a mask as an announcer? Mm-hmm. It's stupid, right? And then now you've become the guy with the mask. Yeah. It makes you stand out from other Yeah, if you're flipping through the channels and you happen to see a guy in a cowboy hat, a guy with a diamond earring and a guy in a mask, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to at least stop for a half a second and say, what is this? You and know? why do you wear a mask? Um, it's it all because that's what I, you know, when I had a wrestling career. Uh, so you started as a wrestler. Yes. Because I think a lot of people might not know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have mentioned it in passing here and there, but... I think a lot of people are still kind of like, why does this guy wear a mask? So yeah. you started as a wrestler. I did. I started as a wrestler in uh, 1999, Southern California, and uh, you know, started training. I, I grew up in Detroit, moved out to LA to follow my dream of of being a wrestler. Moved out there, and uh, you know, because LA has you know so close to Mexico, really steeped in the lucha libre traditions, and I was a big fan of uh, the New Japan Junior style from the 90s and. Specifically, Michinoku Pro. Were you a tape trader? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. As, uh, uh, I've, in my my dad's basement, I have stacks and stacks of. <laughs> it's so of funny VHS how that tapes. used to be. You know, to, to see something you would have to trade with friends. Yeah. Now all of those tapes are just on YouTube. It's oh, I know. It's different it's, now. Yeah. It's wild. I, there was uh, the the pride and joy of my collection is I got like a pristine copy of the Michinoku These Days show. It was like the ten ten ninety six show, but it was like a first generation like recorded right off the master. And I was like, oh my God, this is the holy grail. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I digress. Um, so the, yeah, I, I really loved those guys, yourself included. Like that, that junior heavyweight style in the 90s is really, um, I mean, that's like the sweet spot of wrestling to me. Well, it was pioneering, um, but there was a lot more diversity I found. You kind of have a little bit of that now, but there was a real distinct weight class like now in, in new japan like will osprey just announced he's going to be heavyweight mm-hmm. and naito is heavyweight champion but he's probably weighs 180 pounds like there's a real d- d- uh, division between uh, i remember phrase that a real delusion between the two whereas before junior heavyweight mm-hmm. was junior f- heavyweight that's the way it was but there are so many talented guys in this kind of new division from all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you think about it, like Zack Sabre Jr. has been uh, heavyweight in New Japan since day one, 
And Guy weighs a buck fifty. Yeah, he's incredible. But, but let's be honest, right? Yeah, if if, if they're really sticking to this hundred kilo uh, thing, then why you know why is Zach in there and why why is not Will? Well, yeah. and that's the thing too. Like Otani, for example, mm-hmm. was a career junior heavyweight in New Japan. Mm-hmm. He's twice the size of Zach Saber. He's, yeah. you know, a big kid. Takei with the same. These are tall, big guys, but they're all legit. Two twenty and under, yeah. hundred kilos. Problem is nowadays there's not a lot of guys that even weigh hundred kilos, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it's and like Shingo Takagi is you know he was a natural heavyweight dude, from, yeah, and then you know but when he came to New Japan he had to go into the junior heavyweight division to why was that? I don't know. Right. I mean you know I mean uh, who knows? Yeah, right. they they have their reasons. Point but, being, back in the nineties, yes, there was, it a, was a, one or the other. A very clear delineation between the the uh, the weight size or you know the weight classes and for myself and all of my you know friends that I started training with the junior heavyweight style is the style that we loved and because I mean you also have to think on you know American wrestling at that time the stuff that was most readily available in the mid 90s was just you know like I mean no offense but big plotting guys doing big plotting moves it wasn't the most you know it wasn't the most exciting style where then you have these guys that are incorporating you know uh, a more hard-hitting style uh, you know more hard-hitting Japanese style with a high-flying Lucha Libre style that was like mind blowing, and that well, was so and the exciting. business has changed, right? Because mm-hmm. like if you think about, let's say, you know, Okada and Tanahashi, like kind of still almost junior heavyweights. Okada's taller, but yeah. I mean, but their style has a lot of abushi. Ju- exactly. Yeah. I mean, so but 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 in the nineties, when you had junior heavyweights, heavyweights were basically punching, kicking, mm-hmm. chopping. I think of Tenru as kind of the prototype of that era. Yeah. Powerbomb. Maybe, maybe to really pop the crowd, he might yeah. uh, fly across the floor or something. But. Well, and then the the All Japan, uh, you know, like the, right. the, the four pillars, those yeah. guys um, were also, I mean, you know, if, if that junior heavyweight style is my favorite, if that's number one, 1A is that uh, that King's Road style. That, Kawada. That, that Kawada, Tawe, Kobashi, and Misawa. Misawa yeah. yeah. And then and even before that, Jumbo Saruta. Mm-hmm. Um, when... The, the match where Misawa pinned Jumbo Saruta for the first time, I don't think I've ever heard a pop like that. And it was, it was insane. But that was, you know, the passing of the torch. That, like, and once again, dealing with a guy who started out as, as a tiger a ju- mask. Yeah, as, as a junior, junior heavyweight. But yeah. then literally went and gained 20, 30 pounds. If, if not more, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just one day he's a heavyweight, mm-hmm. one day he's a junior heavyweight. He went away and did his, you know, did his time outside. But yeah. you know, anyways, we've kind of got off topic. But, but still, <laughs> it, it is. It was a, a brilliant time for Japanese wrestling in the '90s, and that very much influenced you for what you were doing when you started. Yes, yes. And so um, we, you know, going to Los Angeles, it was there was kind of two options. You either trained in. You know, like the American style with UPW, which was a you know WWE or WWF developmental territory at that time, and then or you could you know train in lucha libre. And right. so you know, I went to what was effectively a lucha school, but uh, it was called Revolution Pro, not associated with the Rev Pro UK, but mm. uh, it was the original Revolution Pro. Right. But um, and it was it was kind of strictly a lucha style, but uh, there was a group of like-minded individuals there, myself. Uh, Super Dragon, this guy Rising Sun, Disco Machine, Mr. Excitement. We all loved the the Jap- like the hybrid style. Are these guys with their names? Are any of them working today? Not uh, not anymore. No. Gotcha. Uh, my, myself and Super Dragon are kind of like the last vestiges of it in pro wrestling. But uh, Dragon, he just you know books and promotes PWG 
and oh, gotcha. So he's yeah. kind of in that world now. Yeah, there was used to be a, a Lucha Libre shows that I did in L.A. When Martin Marin, Martin Marin, Anaheim Market. Was it Superboy? Was in there? Yep, one of the yep. guys. Superboy was one of the ones. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, there's always been a thriving scene in L.A. Mm. Dating back to the '60s and '70s yeah. with LaBelle and, and you know Olympic Auditorium and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, and so um, we you know we were we were training there, and then actually somebody that you might know, Blitzkrieg, uh, also trained there, and that's that's kind of the school that he came out of, and that was like those were his contemporaries, and so I got there right after Blitzkrieg got signed to WCW, and I started training. Gosh, there. he won like Rookie of the Year, and then yeah. next year just disappeared. Because, well, you know what it was? His heart, he didn't love wrestling. Everybody else that was at RevPro, they all loved wrestling. He was just an athletic freak. And they're like, oh, you have to wrestle. You have to wrestle. And he's like, eh, my heart's not really into it. But What does he do now? Anywhere? I have no idea. Gotcha. Uh, he, he was, at one point, was making uh, videos for raves. Like, like fractal <laughs> raves. <laughs> yeah, you see those guys come and go. You know what I mean? That's why when you have, someone has longevity, it's, mm-hmm. it's, hard to, it's hard to survive in this business. Yeah, as you yeah. would know. And especially if you're not passionate about it, you know, I mean, you see, I mean, that happens in, in all sports where it's like somebody might be genetically gifted, but if their heart's not into it, they wash out after a yeah, couple of years. Yeah, you're right. You can see that. You yeah. can see that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you started working, were you in the mask right away? Yeah, yeah. From, from day one, I was, I was in the mask. I, I mean, I, had a, I, I wore a different mask when I was doing backyard wrestling. But, um, but yeah, and then Excalibur, the switching to that mask and that character was like my graduation from like backyard to. Who was your backyard character? Uh, El Scorpio Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> the Devil Scorpio. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, but so I um, I switched to Excalibur, and you know from there on out, I was just living in Super Dragon's garage in Garden Grove, California, with no air conditioning and uh, with no, like, I had $2,000 to my name, and then that slowly dwindled because I wasn't making any money wrestling, surprisingly. And (laughs) so, so yeah, and I mean, we just, um, you know, we just tried to wrestle as much as possible, whether it was on, you know, student shows at the, at the RevPro Dojo, which was a garage that you could fit maybe 30 people in, um, or just, you know, trying to get booked around Southern California. But the thing was, we were kind of the, the black sheep because uh, UPW, which you know was the WWF developmental territory, those Cena came from there. Cena, yeah. Samoa Joe, uh, kind of I mean, spent the very early days of his career uh, there. But that was very much you know seven steps of psychology. This is what you do. Always work to the hard cam. It's like we're on an indie show. There's no hard cams mm-hmm. here. But uh, and so you know we just kind of wanted to go out and have exciting matches where they were just doing you know punch kick body slam. You know that, that sort the of WWF exactly WWE the style, prototype. Yeah. And so. Eventually, a lot of the undercard UPW guys started coming to our shows, the Rough Pro shows, because then they got a chance to cut loose. And it's, I mean, that, that style that we were working in 99 and 2000 is, I would say, kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's an impression of the Japanese junior heavyweight style, but then also like the current American indie style, or just, I mean, even the current American style, mm-hmm. because, you know, 
uh, is all kind of has roots. It all becomes a hybrid, doesn't yeah. it? You know, I, I know that even like f- from when I grew up watching Stampede Wrestling, mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time why I loved it more than WWF, but it's because it was a combination. If you look at a guy like Owen Hart, for example, they would bring in the top Mexican guys, the top Japanese mm-hmm. guys, the top Europeans. And so Stampede was basically a hybrid of all those styles. Yep. And if you could make it in Calgary, you would come out of that. Even the schooling that I got, you would come out of there knowing how to do things that most kids at a wrestling school wouldn't just because of the way that the territory was stylistically. Yeah, and it's, it gives you an opportunity to be successful anywhere in the world right? rather than only work at once. I mean, you have you know, so many lucha guys that come to the States and they, they have trouble adapting right. to, to this style. Or, you know, like when... Um, New Japan runs those uh, Fantastica Mania shows. They're essentially lucha shows. You know, they're they're kind of doing lucha style matches, a little more logical, you know, to the the Japanese audience, but still essentially lucha matches. And you know, it, it's that's kind of something that not a lot of guys get credit for if they can adapt to you know European style, a British style, an American indie style, an American big arena style, a Mexican big arena style. You know, like yeah, being able to adapt is like that is is so valuable and i think that's something that not i mean not a lot guys didn't used to be able to do that but i think more and more people recognize i mean in order to to have any sort of longevity in this business you need to adapt and you right, need sure. to sure sure and the style has to change too and speaking of of that how did you transition from wrestling in a mask to commentating in a mask well, so when we started PWG... Okay, let's just start with that. Okay. Let's, let's just go into that. Thing. Yeah. Because I had no idea. I kind of did, but, you know, like, uh, the business moves fast. Yeah. Forgot, didn't realize that you were one of the originators of PWG, mm-hmm. which is to this day still one of the, 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 the hippest, hottest indie, uh, indie federations in the States, in the world. Yeah. It's kind of become a modern day ECW where if you can go to PWG, you know, you can make it anywhere if you can make it there. It's, I mean... The, Fans have said it's it's akin to CBGB, you know, where it's like if if you if you have a good showing there, then you know you're all of a sudden your your name value you know skyrockets, and then you become in demand and and that sort of stuff. But that was not what we set out. For. You know, we had very humble origins. It sure. was just six guys that pulled together a couple thousand bucks and decided to run a wrestling show because you know, I mean, it, being on the indies, we had tons of bad experiences where it's like you know you you get promised you know gas money but then at the end of the night you just get maybe a sandwich if you're lucky yeah, yeah. that sort of thing we there was one guy that ran a, a 9-11 benefit show and then left at intermission with all the money and so all the guys had to it's amazing how low some of the promoters can be right and i think i think wrestling has changed for the better mm-hmm. in a lot of ways like those, those kind of carny guys are a dying breed in wrestling. Well, I think too with the, the internet and cell phones and all that stuff, the word gets around so fast. The world has shrunk so much yeah. that you can't get away with that shit. You yeah, you get away with it, with it once. once. Yeah, and then even so, you'll get you know five hundred people tweeting you and Instagramming you and burying mm-hmm. you. It might you know make you think twice about ever doing it again. Yeah, and so we just got sick of doing that and ha- you know going out there and having you know like great matches for other people and just kind of wanted to great in quotes uh but great to you at the time yeah yeah at the time um and you know busting our ass i'll say for other people we said why not why not do it ourselves entertaining people yeah and uh and so we just decided hey we can we can do it and so there was there was a venue uh just outside of la that they had their own ring so like basically it was like a turnkey thing where you could just come in post up your banner and then like that that was your building for that night yeah and so you know the startup costs in that regard were pretty low and so 
Uh, six of us pooled our money together. Myself, Super Dragon, Disco Machine, Top Gun Talwar, Scott Lost, and Joey Ryan. And oh, I didn't know Joey was yeah, one of the originals. Joey is one of the co-founders. And so we did that. That was in July of 2003. And just kind of took on a life of its own after that, you know. How did it take off a life, take on a life of its own though? Um, because this was just after Ring of Honor started mm -hmm. and Ring of Honor kind of got their idea from the, the King of Indies tournament that APW did in, uh, I think it was 2000. Was APW like in, in uh, Delaware or something? No, no, uh, uh, NorCal. Gotcha. Uh, so, San Francisco. So they would, they would kind of have like almost the best of the Super Juniors type tournament, Exactly. Right? Yeah. They, they did kind of like a, like an Indie J Cup, yeah, for lack yeah, of yeah. a better term. And, you know, they had uh, Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, Donovan Morgan, and Super Dragon was also on that show. And he saw that and he's like, that was really cool. We should do that, but as like an ongoing thing. And so the main event of the first PWG show was actually supposed to be Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles. But uh, Joe, uh, I think he broke his elbow or something like that. And so Frankie Kazarian, SoCal guy, mm -hmm. he stepped up and he wrestled AJ in the main event of the first PWG show. And then after that, there was a lot of good feedback, a lot of good word of mouth. And so we just started mixing these shows with a lot of local SoCal guys, up and coming guys, and, um, you know, like big indie names. A fly in. Yeah, fly in. So for yeah. that first one, you flew in AJ Styles. Yeah. And you pulled in your mind. I'm sure that's where the most of the budget went. That was, I, I say 90% of the yeah, budget yeah, yeah. went to that. But yeah, and so, I mean, that's, that's how it all started. And actually, uh, somebody, somebody that you might know was also on that first show, Scorpio Sky. Wow, okay. Yeah. And, so let's say when you brought in AJ, and what was that? 16, 17, 17, almost, so, so 16 and a half, yeah. What, what did you pay AJ to do the show? Oh, I, I can't remember, but it was, if, if it was a thousand bucks, we were probably sweating that gotcha. we were going to sell, you know, because tickets were probably like 15, 20 bucks. And so we how, how do you draw a crowd for that? Too? That's, that's pre-internet era. Um, it, it was pre-internet, but what we, would, we would just go around flyer at other shows. And actually, it wasn't pre-internet because there was a website called SoCal Uncensored, which is where SCU takes their name from. Um, and they kind of like aggregated and promoted all the local events uh, in and around Southern California. And so, you know, we were still getting booked on other shows. So we would go and take a stack of flyers to these shows that we would work on. And then uh, Steve Bryant from SCU, he would come to the, the RevPro Dojo shows back in, when we were in a warehouse in Anaheim. And so we knew him. And he, he did an interview with the six of us uh, right before the first show. And it was like, looking back on it now, it's just so cringeworthy. Like, you know, the things that you thought were funny 20 years right. ago, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't believe it. But, you know, and so we did an interview and it generated a lot of buzz. And so that, I mean, so it was, you know, it was kind of going viral before going viral was a thing, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, wow, these, these guys are crazy enough to run a show, to bring in AJ Styles, to do, you know, to do all this stuff. Like, and so, you know, then the, the next show after that, um, we went, we went to a different building, different ring. We brought in like Adam Pierce and, you know, guys that were a little more experienced that were local guys, but that they'd been around to kind of help us, help us get our footing. And then, you know, started bringing in, you know, Joe then wrestled on the next show. And then after that we did a, uh, I mean, the whole goal was to do our own Indie J cup. And I think our third show was our, our title, you know, our title match tournament, which was our very first Indie J cup. You know, show. So would you do, uh, was the idea to do once a month or once yeah. a week? Okay. Yeah, it was once a month. And then a couple of years in, we got a little too big for our britches and started running uh, twice a month. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, because we were, we were all, we all had our day jobs and stuff like that while we were doing this. And it just, it, 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 we just got burnt out too quickly. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, 
we were doing once a month for, I mean, probably 10 years straight. And that included, like, we, we took a detour in Europe in 2004. We did, we did shows with uh, WXW in Germany, and we did shows in the UK. And so we, you know, I mean, we kind of grew. Um, we, were, we were kind of under the radar. Like, Ring of Honor was taking all the attention, and we were kind of growing under the radar. But, you know, through that early tape trading or that early 2000s tape trading, that's right when, you know, the internet and forums and stuff were coming up. We were getting a lot of buzz through there. And because we had these shows that we needed to sell videotapes in order to make our money back, right. um, I started doing commentary just out of necessity. Mm. And, again, at first, those very very first shows were terrible. The commentary was terrible. Like, I, I couldn't even listen to it today. Mm -hmm. But it was something that, you know, as, as the product evolved and as I realized that there was more... Uh, more eyes on it and more the the in-ring action was getting better and better and better that I you know by you know telling jokes or being sticky or whatever I was I was doing the in-ring stuff a disservice and so I started to take it a little more seriously and I never had any aspirations beyond doing PWG and so you know I just thought like hey if, if this in-ring action if we're gonna have literally the best wrestling in the world inside our ring my commentary needs to at the very least, yeah. not take away from Ex it. Exemplify that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Add to it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When did you find that PWG made the jump to what it is today? It was the 2006 Battle of Los Angeles, which is uh, Battle of Los Angeles, an annual tournament. Great name. Uh, Rage the Machine <laughs> yes. album. Um, and it... You know, again, that that super indie, or that that J Cup style tournament where it's a multi multi person elimination tournament. Over sometimes it would it would be over the course of one night, but it would be typically two or three days. And um, for the second tournament, we flew in a bunch of guys from Dragon Gate and uh, Shima, yeah. who's here 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 tonight, uh, Masato Yoshino, uh, a bunch of bunch of those guys came over and they saw what the guys on the other guys the american guys or the canadian guys on our show were doing and they're like holy shit there's some like talented guys here so they started bringing those guys over for tours and after that i think pwg within the the wrestling community became a place for guys to get noticed you know it's like oh you know they they just brought over el generico and kevin steen on a on a, on a month-long dragon gate tour mm -hmm. um if i can get booked on that show and i can get noticed by shima then i can you know get booked in japan sure, you know and like that sort of thing and so that was like the very early seeds of it. But I think in about 2008, 2009, we had like an insane roster of guys. We had Brian Danielson, Chris Hero, Steen and Generico. Um, Owens and Zane. Yeah, Owens and Zane. Um, you know, we had uh, Claudio Castagnoli, uh, Cesaro, right. uh, Roderick Strong, Austin Aries, Matt Seidel, Alex Shelley, Chris Sabre, like all these guys on the same show Amazing. together. And... Um, then I think it became like, even if Dragon Gate's not going to be there, if you get booked on PWG, then you've, you've kind of made it. Once again, it was the, like, if you could get into ECW in 95 or 96, mm. you would get major coverage in all the magazines and get a real buzz and all that sort of thing. And that's what PWG became because you also, 
refused to go to a bigger building. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the building you used to run in? It was the Reseda, Reseda American Legion Hall. And what was the capacity? Um, 500 if we really, you know, asked the elbows. Yeah. Yeah. So how, uh, why did you refuse to ever move to a bigger place? Um, that was, that was all Super Dragon. Um, he, so, I mean, over, over time, the, the, of the founding guys, four, four of the six of us all kind of, you know, they retired, got retired from wrestling, got real jobs, just kind of. You know, peeled off and did, right. did did other things, and so at the end of the day, it was myself and Super Dragon that were kind of left. And Dragon has always had this mentality of, you know, I want to I want to keep it special, I want to keep it exclusive. Exclusive, yeah. But um, but you know, for the for the people that really love it, you know, it's like you know we and you know he's traveled around. He loves you know Guns and Roses and the White Stripes. Those are his two bands, and right. and he's traveled around the world to see them in you know like the, the smallest clubs on like pop up shows and stuff like that, yeah. and you know, and so he. He loves that vibe and loves that atmosphere and wanted to, you know, kind of keep that magic. And, and that's, you know, why, you know, for better or worse, the, the business model has not changed in, you know, 10 years. We you just, had to move to a new building. Yeah, because the American Legion Post, number 308, Merceda, California, <laughs> they, they, sold the, uh, they sold the building. It's becoming like an assisted living home or something like that. But it's, you know, it's a, a very large lot of land in Los Angeles, which I'm sure is very valuable. And mm-hmm. so whatever they were making off of off of our shows was not, not enough to keep the doors open. But So how did it become kind of the place to be from a celebrity standpoint? Because there's a lot of celebs that went to Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. And I think it was, you know, friends of friends would, um, there's Chris Hero, who was a huge part of, of PWG. He was friends with this guy, Jensen Karp. Jensen Karp, uh, who now hosts uh, Kevin and Bean, what used to be Kevin and Bean in L.A. Right. He's now the co-host of, uh, of, of that show in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, he ran a gallery in LA and he, you know, he'd been around entertainment and music for a while. And so he, he started coming to the shows. He was, you know, he was a wrestling fan and he started coming to the shows and then he started telling people about it. Then other people would tell their friends, Joey Ryan somehow got to be friends with Chris Bauer, who was an actor who was on, uh, um, he met, he met Chris while he was on true blood, but Chris was on, I mean, he'll always be in my heart as Frank Sabatka from the wire season two. (laughs) And, uh, and so he started coming and then when True Blood did their rap party, Chris's gift to the cast was that he bought out a section at PWG. And so that's when Joe Manginello came and he brought Sofia Vergara and, you know, like, and that sort of stuff. And then Ronda Rousey, who was, you know, uh, before she got involved in pro wrestling, when she was just doing MMA, she was still a huge pro Big wrestling fan. fan. Yeah. And so, uh, Shayna Baszler and Justin Duke and Marina Schaefer would come and they're like, oh, we got to bring Ronda, we got to bring Ronda. And then like Ronda came and, you know, people lost their shit. But the, the cool thing was is that our fans, for the most part, were really respectful of her time and just like letting her enjoy the show just like they wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, at intermission or after the show, people would come up for autographs. But I mean, that was there was such a great vibe. And I think that was all part and parcel of keeping it small and keeping condensed that everybody that was coming to the shows felt like family. And they knew that, you know, like Billy Corgan would come and they're like, Oh, we're not going to bother him during the show. Right. You know, and there's it, nowhere to hide. There's no VIP. Right. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's just this, it's, it's a square room with, you know, no corners. The only place to hide is the bathroom. And there's, <laughs> yeah. And Dave Meltzer would show up. Dave Meltzer would show up. My, my biggest thing was, uh, Mike Patton from faith. No more nice. showed up and I am, my number one and you know i wanted to be respectful of him and you know not 
not want to bother him or anything, but I'm like, when am I ever going to get a chance to talk to him? <laughs> so I just went up and I just, I, I had to be like, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know that your music is so important to me. And it's really cool that you're here at this thing that I did. Thank you. And I, I just ran away. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Give him the respect. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was in uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot mm-hmm. and Joe was in that. Yeah. And I went to the premiere in LA and, and Sophia was there and she hardly looked up from her phone once, but mm-hmm. we had a conversation because I knew he was a fan through PWG, yeah. you know, but like you said, when you become a wrestling fan, it's universal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the fact Patton was there, he's not going to tell you to f*** off when you go say hi to him because right. it's part of the community atmosphere. Yeah. And, and so that was, and that was really cool. So it's like, I mean, I guess from a fan perspective, the fans knew that like, they were getting the best you know, in-ring, you know, bell-to-bell experience that they, they could. But it's also kind of cool to, to look over and see Sofia Vergara like oh, yeah. taking selfies and like like that's such a unique She's experience. A list, yeah, star, yeah. and you know, or to see whoever else, like Adam Jones from Tool, you know, is is there like huge fan every show? He'd be, he'd yeah. be coming, and uh, actually Andy Williams Butcher, he would he would fly out to to shows, or if, or if like if, if every time I die would be in L.A., he'd be like, oh, I'm gonna stay out an extra day and go to this PWG but show. These shows would also sell out like in three minutes, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was a really hard to get ticket, and that was you know that was the tough thing of of satisfying our our fan base that got us to you know got us up to that point and then also you know like because there'd be people that would try to buy out you know 20 tickets at a time or something like that for and they had never been to a show before and so you know we would we would try to keep the fans that were loyal to us as happy as possible but you know still get get new fans and and it became really difficult you know because that building was so small and because it was such an exclusive ticket and you know you never want to you know forget the people that got you there sure but also if you keep playing to that same audience you'll eventually stagnate yeah, and you're not gonna you're not gonna grow and so it's like yeah we have to get get new people in there how did your business model change as the internet kind of took over the whole dvd it's funny because I, I actually bought a documentary on blu-ray got it yesterday i haven't watched something on dvd or <laughs> years I, even, I couldn't even figure out how to open the thing but that's the way we live now whereas yeah. before you mentioned dvd sales were one of the cruxes of your financial business so that i mean that is still our model is uh the dvd blu-ray releases yeah and, and people still buy people still buy them um and we get hammered every single time we release a show on dvd and blu-ray to you know hey start streaming but the the thing was in the uh, you know, around 2010, there was, you know, TNA was a thing. Ring right. of Honor was starting up. Everybody was signing everybody to exclusive contracts on the Indies. That's the that was, it was, it was that such next. a yeah. It was such a dumb period of time. Mm. But what would happen then is uh, TNA would pull their guys from our show or they would say, it's like, you can book them, but you can't put them on the DVD or stuff like that. And, you know, so what we did is we, we were kind of Switzerland where we didn't sign anybody to contracts. Everybody could come to our place. Everybody could work. Everybody's everybody, welcome. Yeah, everybody's welcome. And, you know, no bullshit. And so that was, that's why we stuck to DVD when everybody was like signing streaming deals or, you know, licensing out their, their footage ah. and stuff like that. We were like, no, if we stay neutral, then we can use everybody. And there's no, no politics and, you know, no, um, you know, n- none of those contractual waters to navigate. Because there's a lot of people that sign contracts where it's like, okay, you can only work here, but you can still work PWG and New Japan. I know the Young Bucks were right. signed somewhere or whatever it was. Well, so the, the Young Bucks were the ones that were responsible for that because oh, really? uh, Ring of Honor pulled, I think uh, Adam Cole got hurt on one of our shows and it was before like a Ring of Honor TV taping. And uh, so Ring of Honor just said, no, they pulled everybody. And then the Bucks said, well, we still want to work PWG. It's, you know, 
it's right down the road for us. And also it's the place where we got our start, you know, on a, on a big stage and ring of honor is like, eh, I don't know. But then when it came to renegotiate their contracts, they said, well, we want it written in that we can work PWG. Mm. And so they did that. And then it became known as like the young bucks deal. And then, so when, uh, Cole and O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and all those guys that they came to renegotiate. They're like, well, we want the Young Bucks deal. We want to be able to work PWG. <laughs> so all it takes is one big name and yeah. suddenly becomes a thing. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, now like we have a, it's, you know, wrestling is kind of mellowed out in, in a sense where, I mean, obviously AEW and WWE are in a, in a land grab, but like, I think everybody on the Indies realizes like, Hey, if, you know, if we all kind of work together and, um, just cooperate, uh, it's it's better for everybody, and I think it's it's the the, the wrestling world is all the better for it because it only it only helps not only does it help the fans but it, it helps the wrestlers too. You know, is is it harder to put on quality? Sh- well, first of all, are you still involved with PWG? Yes, gotcha. Yeah. So is it harder to put on quality shows when you mentioned there is such a just sign as many people as you can? Um, so. I, you know, my, my involvement is purely on like a production end where, you know, I still, still do the graphics for the, the DVDs and the menus and stuff. Super Dragon. Yeah, you sent me a text this week about a graphic working on. Yeah. Like, oh, that's interesting. Excalibur's involved. Yeah. So that was my, that was my day job as gotcha. I, I was a graphic designer. And so, I mean, he, even here at AEW, you know, I'm commentator, but I'm also a marketing manager. And so, oh, I'm, okay. you know, I'm working two roles and. Um, you know, like before, before the, we got here today, I was like emailing with the Turner people and approving, you know, so it's like I, everybody around here wears a lot of hats, as you but know. that's the best thing about wrestling, about anything in mm-hmm. show business. The more jobs you can do, the more valuable you are. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of job security for me, yeah, which yeah, I'm yeah. happy about. But yeah, so it's a two-man operation between Super Dragon, who books, all, you know, books all the talent, is does the creative and all that stuff, and, you know, is scouring the globe for people and and really, I mean, that's that's what had to happen is because there's been you know, WWE with their their kind of sign and stash policy, and uh, you know it's it's really kind of limited the guys that we're able to book, and so we've had to look a little further afield, whether it's to Mexico or now Australia, and we're bringing a lot of um, hmm. of Australian guys over, super talented, but have not been getting the attention that they deserve. And well, once again, that's a that's a higher budget. Yeah, it is. Like so, the the, the travel is expensive and you know i mean over the years because uh you know so many costs you know renting renting a building in philadelphia is so much cheaper than the equivalent size building in la you know especially on a friday saturday night and so um so our our costs in that regard are pretty high but you know the thing is our, our fans are loyal we still you know do um you know do good business with dvds and blu-rays and then also high spots has been a, a great partner with us since day one and they've they've really supported us and so we kind of share um share some costs with them in terms of you know and that's a dvd company high yeah spots? high spots um highspots.com mm-hmm. uh and um and so they've, they've been really cool with us since day one very loyal to us and so uh, and without them, I don't think we would have made it past, you know, year three or four. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's cool that we still get to work with them and put out our footage. And then, you know, basically what happens is after a year, after a DVD has been out for a year, it goes up on the high spot streaming service. Gotcha. And so that's, that's how we kind of get around these contractual mm-hmm. things. And so, yeah, we, it, it, it has been harder to, to book shows and to get to, to find new talent. But the thing is the world is filled with super talented guys. Like, uh, I mentioned when ring of honor, pulled uh pulled those guys and i think it was 2014 right before that we had also lost steen and generico and so we were kind of like oh this is we're at a bit of a crossroads but 
the 2015 Battle of Los Angeles, it was a blessing in disguise because that's when Zack Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay, Marty Skrull, and Mark Andrews all made their, and Drew Galloway actually, mm -hmm. all made their PWG debut. And so there will always be, you know, somebody that's young and hungry and super talented. And the, the hard part for us is just finding them. Right, right. You know? And then keeping them once they get a name. Well, so I mean, that, that's the other thing too, is that because we've kept it deliberately small, there's never been any aspirations to be right. world beaters. And so there came a shift in our promotional mentality. I mean, well, speaking for myself, there, there came a shift when, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I want to, you know, we should move it to a bigger building. We, we could draw so much more. We could sell this much merch where I'm just like, I'm happy guys are getting signed because these are my friends. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, if, if Steve Regal comes to one of our shows and sees these guys have a killer match, and they get a contract for it. That's literally a life-changing thing that we were able to do for them. Well, once again, it just gives the reputation of PWG being the place to go if you want to try and break out. It does, yeah. And I mean, I think the, the thing that helps is obviously, you know, we have international attention. We have people like Regal coming and, and stuff like that. How and is that when a guy like Regal comes? Because he can't, once again, hide out anywhere. Is he out in the crowd? Uh, he just, he hangs out. He, he comes in the, the back door and then what he would literally just there's a curtain. Look through the curtain yeah. the entire show. But the thing is, if you were at the bar ordering a drink, you could see around the other side uh, of the curtain. So, <laughs> so there's all these pictures of Regal. Like, yeah. Because that's what it is to you. buy pictures of beer. Yep. Yeah. Sweat your ass off. Sweat. And watch oh, my God. Those, those shows. I mean, because it was, you know, Los Angeles in September, 110 degree day. And then you'd pack 500 people Gosh. into this building and have wrestling, have lights. Have so much all, like ECW. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, you know, that, that Reseda vibe will never be duplicated. But for, for a lot of guys, that, that was, you know, that's, that's like working Corican Hall, you know, for them. Mm -hmm. I remember Desmond Xavier, the first time he wrestled for PWG, it was right after, like, torrential rain in L.A., which, you know, having been to L.A., you know, that's not that much. Yeah. But, like, part of the ceiling had collapsed. The entire building smelled like mold. It was, like, at its worst possible state. And Des walked in, and he's just like, oh, my God, this is it. And I'm like, what, this shithole? Like, be careful you don't step on the black mold over yeah, yeah, there, you know? And But, like, to him, it was something that he'd been watching. But see, on. that's what the ECW arena was yeah, like, yeah. too. I think Corkin's nicer, but still, like, when I went back to Corkin a couple of years ago, I couldn't believe how small it was. Yeah. Like, when I worked there in the 90s, it seemed like a giant theater. But you go to these places, these, you know, legendary reputations, mm -hmm. and it's just like, gosh, it, this is it. I haven't been to the ECW arena since 96, but if, if, if I walked in there now, it would probably be about the size of this room and be like dirty and smelly. Yeah, um, I, having, I've, been, I've been at the arena in the worst of times and I've been in better times and they've, they've actually remodeled they've it. They've revamped it. Right? They've yeah. revamped it. It doesn't, have, you know, it doesn't have the same charm as that dump that yeah. you wrestled <laughs> at in 1996. Yeah. So uh, just, just a few more things about PWG. What do you see... The future of PWG being does it have legs to last to continue on? I think so. Um, you know, it's, we've definitely slowed down our pace. Um, you know, instead of running once every every month, we're about once every six eight weeks now. But you know, I mean, that's part of you know growing older and you know wiser, wiser, yeah, and, and kind of knowing what the what the audience demands. And I mean, it, it there was a time when you know PWG was like the only super indie on you know west of the mississippi and then now there's you know all these places that are booking guys from around the globe you know some of them in la there's you know portland and seattle um you know vegas has a has a thriving scene and so you know that's it's people 
don't necessarily need to uh, fans don't necessarily need to travel as much to see you know these these amazing wrestlers and especially like AEW and even NXT you know like a large part of the AEW and NXT roster even the main roster in WWE came through PWG mm-hmm. and so it's like now you know unfortunately for PWG you don't have to travel to Reseda or travel to LA to see these guys you can just turn on your TV right. But the people that are, are lifelong fans and that are passionate about it, they know that like this is where you can see the next generation of guys mm-hmm. that'll be on TV and you can see them before they're there. And um, so that's why I think PWG has legs and you know there, there is a future there. Because, Who's the champion now? Uh, Bandito is the champion. Okay. Uh, from, and so he was, he was a guy that, that we brought in because we lost a large chunk of our roster to NXT. And so we had to start looking for, you know, Lucha guys or, you know, different, you know, different guys. And so Bandito came in and he was instantly a hit with, with our fans. And then Ring of Honor took notice of him. And, you know, suddenly he, he's over there. Brody King is another guy that, uh, he's an LA guy, but, um, you know, he was really, really hard worker, really great guy but just never kind of had the opportunities outside of PWG. And then once we finally started booking him, he got, you know, noticed on a bigger stage. What are your, some of your favorite matches you've ever seen in PWG history? There's so, so many. Um, I think one of my favorite is Chris Hero wrestled Brian Danielson. And this was, I can't remember the year. It was right when he got uh, released for choking Justin Roberts. 2009 or 10. Yeah. And, um, and he came out and he wrestled Hero, who was PWG champion at the, at the time, and they had a phenomenal match. And then after uh, Danielson got on the mic and said, hey, I'm the, he won, he's like, I'm the new champion, but uh, unfortunately I can't defend this title because I'm going back to WWE. Oh, wow. And, but then he turned around to total babyface promo, and he's like, but I want the winner of the Battle of Los Angeles to become the new PWG champion. And then... Uh, Kenny Omega won the Battle of Los Angeles oh, wow. right after, and so um, there was that. Uh, the Young Bucks uh, had so many amazing matches there, um, but the most memorable, I think, is when they wrestled uh, Joey Ryan and Candice LeRae uh, as oh, world wow. world's cutest tag team, and it was in a, <laughs> it was in a guerrilla warfare, or a hardcore match, and the Bucks actually had um, a, a Nike, an Air Jordan that they glued. A bunch of thumbtacks too. Oh man! And they kicked Candice oh, in the, kicked. and she had Muda level <laughs> juice, and it was, it was like so unforgettable. Uh, Chuck Taylor beat Zack Saber. He had like a year long chase of Zack Saber Jr. in the in the um, in the PWG World Title, and he beat him. And it was, I think, the first time I've ever become like really emotional because like the the when he got the three count, the crowd just like. They, they not only popped, but it was like a sigh of relief because it was like this year-long chase is finally over. And, you know, Chuck will admit he's never been the most, most athletic guy, the most, uh, most technically gifted guy, but he was just, you know, he had the, he had the support of the crowd. Yeah. And then, um, and so, like, I, I had literally, like, tears in my eyes, like, when, when he won just because of the crowd's reaction and because, you know, these are my friends and they put on this amazing match. And, and you know, there's so many so many emotions that have filled me with and now i think in, in my old age i tend to get a little more sentimental <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrestling song yeah. about though but um well like i said a, a great story about pwg but then now you're here as excalibur yes. wearing the mask going back to the original question how was it for you fitting in and and we're still working on it but six months in finding your place in between mm-hmm. what role is jim what role is tony what role is excalibur uh, tell us about your first few times and how you were able to figure that out 
you know, there was, there was, uh, you know, a, a very steep learning curve and, you know, like, I mean, you mentioned you, you didn't get it. Why I wore the mask, Jim didn't get it. There was a lot of people that didn't get it. But I think once, uh, you know, once people heard my work and I mean, hopefully this is, this is your feelings that, you know, I kind of, kind of won you over and like, or at least you learned to trust me and my, you know, my instincts and you, you realized I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a self-serving announcer. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get, yeah. yeah, see, I, I never thought of it. It's funny, too, because we see you guys on camera, you know, once. 30 seconds a show, a show maybe. Yeah. And you could be wearing full-on, you know, Gene Simmons kiss makeup. <laughs> yeah. What does it matter when we, all we hear, right. your representation on the show is your voice and your analysis of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, to me, the mask was just something that didn't make sense. But then it's wrestling, dude. Yeah. And we have an announcer that has a mask. And, and if you do a good job... It's what, not going to matter. And I'm yeah. sure it was the same with Jim. I bet you Vince, when he first came in, didn't want Vince if he didn't want to wear a cowboy, cowboy hat. Yep. I, have you ever had that conversation? No, I Jim? haven't. Okay. But I, I that that is a conversation. It was I, there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so yeah, and it, it there was there was it was a steep learning curve. I was nervous as hell at uh, Double or Nothing, you know, going in because I'm calling uh, basically five straight hours with uh, Jim Ross and Alex Marvez, and then uh, then we get to Dynamite on October second, and now I'm calling it on national TV in front of an even, even larger audience. And luckily by that point, I wasn't as nervous, but I was, you know, I still had butterflies. And now it's, it's not that I don't get nervous. It's just that this has become my it's job. End, yeah. yeah. And, and I've become more accustomed to it, but I'm still, you know, I'm still super concerned with, with my preparation, with my notes. I have my routine on, you know, on Wednesday morning when I'm typing up my notes, I mean, I did notes for, for this. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, didn't even use, yeah, you know, used to be, yeah. I just realized, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's me. I want to prep and I want to do the, the best job possible. And I think, you know, the, the reception I've gotten from, you know, the AEW people, the Turner people, and most importantly, the fans has been that I'm doing a, a good job. And I just, as long as I can continue to, you know, maintain and raise that standard of quality i'm i'm happy and you know i'm, I'm so thrilled to be part how of this. about from your peers what advice has jim or tony given you uh <laughs> jim's jim's advice is always uh less is more kid we don't get paid by the word <laughs> and uh but but it's great because um being more concise you know i mean when, when i'm when i'm doing pwg commentary i'm literally doing it by myself talking into a headset that feeds directly into the hard cam. You're Joey Styles. You're play-by-play and, and color. color and, yeah. and, and all of it, yes. Analysis and everything. Yeah. And, and so I, I had to learn when to lay out, how to lay out, how to, how to pitch to you know, Tony or pitch to Jim. And you know, last week, uh, there was one segment where Jim, Jim's usually the one that takes us to break. But there was one segment where I was in the middle of the sentence and we got the countdown in our ear and he's like, he's like oh, five seconds to break. Usually we get 10, but for whatever reason, I only got five. And so because I was in the middle of the sentence, I pitched a break, but I pitched too soon. And so there was like three seconds of dead air. And afterwards I went to Jim and, and I was like, man, you make that look a lot easier than it is because he, he's been doing this for so sure. long. He's got a three second version. He's got a five second, an eight second, a 10 second, you know, like he knows. Just instinct knows yeah. how long it is. right? And, you know, and then Shivani is the master of like the live reads and, and doing that stuff and working in website promos or ticket promos and stuff like that. And I, I, you know, I think the, the wrestling stuff I have a, a, you know, a decent grasp on. I, I can, I'm always asking Jim or Tony or Taz, you know, like for advice or listening to, to how they do things to try to improve my game. But it's, it's stuff like the broadcast stuff. That's where, um, you know, I think I have the biggest, uh, biggest room for improvement. And so just working alongside literally 
Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross. Like that is a dream job that I never even dreamt existed. And so getting to learn from them on a weekly basis is just is amazing. You mentioned Taz, and I forgot you also do Dark. What yep. are the differences for you doing uh, Dynamite in comparison to doing Dark? Dark is a, a lot looser because we don't have to you know, pitch to break. We don't have to worry about commercial or anything like that. We can just call the match straight through. We don't have to worry about you know, doing ticket on sales or mentioning the TNT movie of the week or things like that. So it's just, you know, it's just straight wrestling. But it's also Taz and I, you know, I'm, you know, when I'm there with, Jim and Tony, I do, you know, I mostly do analysis, at, uh, analysis and play-by-play, play, but um, when, when I'm there with Taz, obviously, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody in, in, you know, in the wrestling world, but compared to Taz, I'm especially nobody. But, you also, know? but, but, but Taz, you're also doing more play-by-play play on Dark, as yes. Taz is more of the color commentator. Yeah, and correct? so, yeah, and so we, we kind of, you Which know. Which is good for you to wear that hat as well. Yeah, and so it's, it's a good or experience. that mask. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same mask. Right. <laughs> um, but, it, uh, yeah, it is a good experience because it, it gives me, you know, a different, um, you know, a different, different role to play, but also with somebody that has tons of broadcast experience, and that's, if, if nothing else, that's been the biggest gift is like these guys that have, you know, probably if you put it all together, they probably have a hundred years of right. combined broadcast experience right. and getting to, you know, I got to work with Dave freaking Brown. Right. Like, like how Memphis. awesome is that? Yeah. And so it's like, these guys have been calling wrestling forever and just seeing how they react to stuff or their timing or, you know, when they lay out, how they lay out, you know, like that sort of stuff is, is so, so important. And so, yeah, I mean, I love, I love doing dynamite, but um, that's, that's more of like, that's more of business. Dark is when like you can kind of loosen the tie sure. and, 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 and cut but, loose. But like you said, all that stuff's important because you're expected to be a pro. Like mm-hmm. we said, you got thrown the deep end from doing DVDs to live television with, you know, Jim Ross, yeah. legendary Hall of Famer and Tony as well. But you're here for a reason. So it's cool to kind of, you know, put on your fanboy hat for five seconds and then realize I got to be great at this or I'm not going to be here. And yeah. there's been commentators and backstage announcers that were here in October that aren't here now, not mentioning names. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But the yeah. point is, was there ever a point in time? Like, did you, did you ever think to yourself, I mean, way over my head or were you thinking, okay, I can do this, but I've got to really do better. Um, no, yes. Uh, that, that's exactly what I thought is that, you know, I mean, like we, as performers, we all have ego and, you know, it's like, so, I mean, I knew I was good. I knew, I knew, you know, what I brought to the table, but I knew I had, I had to improve in order to be right. on, on a national television broadcast. And so that's why, you know, I mean, whether, whether it was my day job in graphic design or, you know, wrestling commentary, I take these things equally as seriously and I prepare and I put a lot as of a that, pro. Yeah. I put that much effort into it. And so, yes, I mean, it's, it's the type of thing where, you know, I will, I will hopefully never stop improving. And the, the day I stop improving or the day I be, become complacent is the day that, you know, I quite frankly might deserve to lose my job. Right, 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 right. But I mean, that, and that's the thing that like, I remember the first time I ever walked into a WCW locker room, Manatee Civic Center, Palmetto, Florida, Nitro. It wasn't the first time because I'd done a couple of minor shows, but first time on Nitro. And I walked into a dressing room, you know, talent, whatever the hell it said, and there's Lex Luger and Sting and Flair and Arn. And I just walked in there and it's like, for two seconds, as everyone stops to look at me, I almost feel like I'm a fan that went too far. And I'm backstage. And then I'm like, okay, have two seconds of freak out. And then I was like, hey, guys, Chris Jericho, nice to meet you. Chris Jericho, nice to meet you. 
and then sit down and go about my business. And it's a really weird feeling, but that's how you have to it's treat it when you're there. Imposter syndrome. That's right. Yeah. But, um, and I mean, I did have an element of that. I mean, with you, especially like I mentioned what a big fan of the, the junior heavyweight, you know, wrestling style was. And so, you know, to see, to be sitting across the room from the guy that was in the, mm-hmm. the super J cup for me is a, is a huge thing. Right. And you know, when, when I first met Luther, yeah. um, I was like, holy shit, that's Dr. Luther, you know? And it's like, and a lot of people didn't know who he was. And like Moxley was like, like, wait, who's that guy? I'm like, dude, that's fucking Dr. Luther from FMW. He's like, no way. And then like, you know, and so like, yes, there are those fanboy moments. And you know, like when I, I, you know, I got to call a bunch of, a couple Ligers matches and that, that was so huge for me. And so it's like, I think the, the, the biggest thing I try to do is not take it for granted. You know, it's like, yes, this is my job. This is where I come every week, but I've been a lifelong wrestling fan. And so to be able to have the opportunity to do this is an incredible gift. So I never, I never hope and I never want to take this for granted. I always want to, you know, I mean, th- there will come a day when, you, when you're no longer wrestling. You know, Liger just retired. And mm-hmm. so, like, these guys that, that I grew up with are, are, you know, going away. But then there will be the MJFs, the Jungle Boys, the, the Marco That's Stunts. The circle of life, right? And, you know, then I get to you know, I get to kind of reverse roles where it's like, I'm the respected, yeah. quote, hopefully respected, but you know what I mean? I'm the, I'm the elder statesman and I get to impart advice to them. And I've, I've even found a lot of guys coming up to me, you know, like, I'm, I'm just a dude, you know, no, like, no, but, 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 but I understand your point. I appreciate your humbleness, but you're also the conduit for like, I come and talk to you guys almost mm-hmm. every week. This is what I would like to get across. Say it in your own words, of course, but this, this, and this have to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And if guys don't come to you, you might miss those things. So it's the nuances. I remember once again, Joey Styles used to come every, every week. What, what do you got? What can mm-hmm. I do? What can I do to help? And, you know, it's very important. Vince would have a meeting with Lawler and, and JR every week. Mm-hmm. This is what I want you guys to get across. So you are just the dude, but you're also the dude that is the mouthpiece for these nuances mm-hmm. that have to be told. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And I mean, that's, I think that's been the toughest thing to, to wrap my head around where, you know, like, again, with, with PWG, it, you know, we had a, a much smaller audience, obviously, than, than Dynamite does. But, you know, I was, I knew everybody that, that I saw at the building that day, like, you know, in terms of, like, the staff and the wrestlers and stuff like that. But here, I mean, there's, there's you know, this is such a, such a monumental production where, you know, it's, I, I just feel like, some, like sometimes like a cog in the machine. But I do have to pinch myself and, and remind myself that, you know, I am, I am the, 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 the soundtrack to, to That's the right. show. You're the voice. Yeah. As, we, as we wind down here, um, what have you seen improve over the last five, I'll say six months, it might not have been exactly six months, but on the weekly Dynamite and, and uh, show because you and Jim are mm-hmm. the two guys that have, well, you especially, including Dark, have watched every single match from beginning to now. The only match that I have not commentated is the one you kicked me out of. Uh, right. It was Luchasaurus and uh, was it Sammy, I he think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think the the two things that I've I've seen in is that the guys that have never wrestled on TV or never wrestled in you know big arenas they've gotten their sea legs yeah you know and that that's always going to happen but you know unfortunately they're under the microscope and so you know to see Jungle Boy who I mean you know he gets he's he's the most nervous guy I've ever seen before mm. before you know a match or anything like that but he's gotten 
shockingly less nervous as time goes on. Like, I mean, he used well, to once be again, just like you, you know, that's the way it works. Yeah. And, um, you know, to see him, you know, calm down and, you know, just kind of come to grips with the, the situation to see, you know, Marco go out there and, you know, feel that he can be comfortable and, you know, so that's, that's been an improvement. So seeing these young guys or, you know, not, not necessarily young guys, but guys that have never performed in front of this size of audience, being able to have that composure and, you know, keep, keep things crisp, uh, you know, keep the action flowing. And then I think the other thing too, is just, you know, from a business side is tightening up the production, you know, like the, the, the script and the, 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 the run, the run of show and things like that. You know, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, there, there's always going to be experimentation in wrestling. Nobody knows 100% what the audience right, exactly. wants, but I think the way we experiment has improved. And so, you know, we, we realized certain angles weren't working. And so we just, you know, we cut bait on them. And when, when that happens on a TV show, you're, it's kind of irksome, but it's like, you know, it's like, why did they do that? But, you know, I mean, this is, you know, this is a weekly television thing. It's, you know, a TV show is only, you know, 16 episodes, you know, where this is 52 a year right. times year. how many years? Yeah. yeah. And so there, there has to be, you know, times when, you know, Not we, everything's going to work. Yeah. Right. And, and, but, you know, just the, the in, internal logic of the, the creative here has, has improved. And I think uh, everybody realizes, you know, like, okay, this, this might've worked in a different audience. This might've worked on the Indies. This might've worked in Japan. This might've worked somewhere else. It's not necessarily going to work, not even in front of our, our live audience, but our televised audience. Mm -hmm. It's, there's a big difference in how things are received, you know, on your living room couch versus being in the arena. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there's a, we had a, a group of people and myself included, I, you know, I have a much bigger role in the shaping and creative of, of dynamite than I ever did in, in, in WWE, mm -hmm. not just for my own stuff, but everything production elements and, you know, music and light switches and vignettes and all that sort of stuff. But we had a whole group of people that are basically starting this, from scratch, mm -hmm. how do you do that? Some things are going to be perfect. Other things are going to need stuff to work. You know, you have to shape and work in it better. But I've really seen a difference of a whole crew that have never really experienced live TV, and yourself included. Mm -hmm. uh, very few of us, Jim Ross, Cody, Jericho, Dustin, Moxley, dealt with it, mm -hmm. Hager, but most of us haven't. So to see that come together so quickly has been really cool to, to experience and be a part of it. Yeah, it's, I mean, before... You know, before Double or Nothing, uh, you know, I, I did uh, some New Japan shows with Kevin Kelly, and that was a great experience because Kevin is also like a, a you know very experienced broadcaster. But over there, he's producing himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he he's the only guy on his team yeah. that speaks English, and so he's you know he's doing it all. And so like, you know, going from that to this environment where we have an entire truck of people, but you know that that are producing and do, and doing all this stuff, and watching as the weeks go by and you know because not everybody here is you know i mean you said not everybody has tv experience but not even our production crew not everybody has wrestling experience right. there's a lot of guys that came from you turner know turner or college sports or wherever they might have been so that it's you know shooting wrestling is a different animal mm -hmm. or producing wrestling and the timing and the camera in the camera positioning and all these things and so seeing these guys learn and adapt very quickly and sometimes you know like a one week basis things will turn around and change that's that's been really cool and i think as time goes on we're only going to get better yeah last two questions how did you design your mask uh i took great sasuke's mask and i, I ripped it off and uh <laughs> i just just put put some flourishes on it uh the little little crest on my forehead i, I ripped off from uh, black bolt from the eternals and marvel comics oh wow 
And uh, yeah, and that's uh, great. Sasuke was my guy, and so like I wanted to do something to uh, to kind of an homage to him. Did you see him this year at the dome? Uh, I did. Yeah. That was that was super <laughs> was awesome. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that's that's what it was. Like I mean, everything was part and parcel. Is just all all goes back to Michinoku Pro. Oh yeah, super Delphin. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite match that you've commentated here in AW or a few of them? Cody and Dustin, yeah. uh, because it was just so so emotional and you know it's so so special. Um, the uh, the ladder match with the the Bucks and the Lucha Bros, right. that was great. And for very personal reasons, your match with Scorpio Sky, oh, wow. because I've known Sky for 16, 17 years, yeah. no, seventeen and a half years, and so to see that kid I knew, you know, that trained at the Rev Pro Dojo you know, way back in 2003, wrestling Chris Jericho mm-hmm. on national TV was so freaking awesome. And like, it was like, it, it makes me smile. I mean, you can see I'm smiling yeah, now, yeah, yeah, like talking, I'm just remembering it. And so it's like, that's the type of rewarding stuff that, you know, is, is so special to me about this is seeing guys grow and seeing guys be able to live out their dream. Your friends do. Yeah. Do you know what lexicon means now? I do. It's a list of words. <laughs> It's not a list of names. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dude. Get to work.